Zechariah 2, the focus is 8 to 13. We'll read from verse 1. This is the third vision. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see how wide it is and how long it is. And behold, the angel who was speaking with me was going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him, and said to him, Run, speak to that young man, saying, Jerusalem will, in, will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. For I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Ho there, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have dispersed you as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Ho Zion, escape, you who are living with the daughter of Babylon, for thus says the Lord of hosts, after glory... He has sent me against the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For behold, I will wave my hand over them so that they will be plunder for their slaves. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day. And will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, O flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. Amen. This third vision is a vision of comfort or love toward the people of God, and an assurance that they will be blessed abundantly, they will be numerous, they will prosper, and they will include peoples from many nations, as we find in verse 11. The many nations, they will come and they will belong to the Lord. And that's why the wall of Jerusalem will not have any actual walls. God will be a wall and all the multitude of men and cattle will be within it, verse 4. Verses 1 to 5 assure the people and assure us that God has numerous people to save, and he will redeem them and be their protection. Then in verses 6 and 7, he calls on us to flee or escape from the world, from the various parts of the world or from the peoples of the world who will bring us down. The evil people of the world, we are to separate from them, escape from them, and live a separate life. Verses 6 and 7. Now in verses 8 and 9, he assures us that our enemies, those who persecute us, will be punished. Our enemies, those who persecute us, will be punished. In other words, 8 and 9 have to do with God's justice. God's justice against the unrepentant foes of the church that persecute the church. So verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts. So the Lord of hosts is the ultimate or main speaker, but this has to be by means of a messenger. We'll find out who this messenger is in a moment. 
So verse 8, the Lord of hosts is speaking, and this is the Lord of armies, angelic and human armies, to carry out his will. What is the message? After glory, he has sent me against the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. After glory, in the pursuit of glory, for the purpose of glory, he has sent me against the nations which plunder you. God is glorified not only in redeeming people, but he's also glorified in punishing people. That's the context of verses 8 and 9. After this kind of glory, God has sent me against the nations which plunder you, which is a threat against the nations because the nations are plundering the people of God, so they deserve to be punished. On the matter of God being glorified when he punishes people, God being glorified or praised, exalted, honored when he punishes people, Exodus 9, Exodus 9, 13 to 17. Exodus 9, 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would then have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this cause I have allowed you to remain, in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. Still you exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. The reason Pharaoh existed, even existed to that point in history, was for this reason in verse 16, 14 and 16, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth, and in 16, but indeed, for this cause I have allowed you to remain, in order to show my power, and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. To show wicked Pharaoh God's supreme power, and even power over Pharaoh, and for God's name to be proclaimed throughout the earth. And if it is proclaimed throughout the earth, then it will be proclaimed in judgment against the Egyptians and redemption for Israel. Exodus 15.1, Exodus 15.1, after crossing the sea, the Red Sea, miraculously, and seeing their enemies defeated behind them, Moses and the sons of Israel sing this song, verse 1, 15, 1. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. This is a song of praise to God, God's victory. And they praise God because he destroyed both horse and rider in the sea. So when the enemies are destroyed, the people of God praise God. Further, let's turn to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 35, 10. Ezekiel 35, 10. 
Ezekiel 35, 10 to 15. This chapter is an oracle against Edom or Mount Seir, Edom, Esau, Mount Seir. 35, 10, Ezekiel. Because you have said, these two nations and these two lands will be mine, and we will possess them, although the Lord was there. The two nations and two lands he's talking about, Israel and Judah. So then, 11. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will deal with you according to your anger and according to your envy, which you showed because of your hatred against them. So I will make myself known among them when I judge you. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have heard all your revilings which you have spoken against the mountains of Israel, saying, They are laid desolate. They are given to us for food. And you have spoken arrogantly against me and have multiplied your words against me. I have heard. Thus says the Lord God, As all the earth rejoices, I will make you a desolation. As you rejoiced over the inheritance of the house of Israel because it was desolate, so I will do to you. You will be a desolation, O Mount Seir, and all Edom, all of it. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And Malachi, Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. Another one on God being glorified when he punishes his enemies. Malachi 1. Malachi 1, 1 to 5. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. And I have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Though Edom says, we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will tear down, and men will call them the wicked territory and the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. And your eyes will see this, and you will say, May the Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. God's magnified when he punishes his enemies. His enemies are enemies the same. Okay, then that's on God punishing evildoers and being glorified that way. We'll also see in verses 10 to 13 that God will be glorified when he redeems people. That's in Zechariah 2, 10 to 13. When he acts on behalf of his people to deliver them and be among them. But before we get there and explain that, the concept of God being glorified through redemption. Turn to Isaiah. Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, 1 to 7. 43, 1 to 7. But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, 
the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Sabah in your place. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. We are redeemed, created in our redemption for the glory of God. 43.21 of Isaiah. The people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. Those who are formed for him, created for him, will declare his praise. <coughs> As well, 44, Isaiah 44.23. 44. Let's uh, actually read at verse 44, 21 to 23. 44, 21. Remember these things, O Jacob, and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you, you are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Shout for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout joyfully, you lower parts of the earth, break forth into a shout of joy, you mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob, and in Israel he shows forth his glory. Shows forth his glory in Israel because he redeems Israel, true Israel, spiritual Israel, which includes the nations. Also, Zechariah 2 he says in 2 verse 8, After glory he has sent me against the nations. Who is the he and who is the me? The he has to be God. There's no doubt he has to be God. But who is the me? Is the me the prophet or is the me Christ? Who is the me? In the New American Standard Bible, we have a small m, most likely, in verse 8. However, as the speech continues into verse 9, look at the end of it. Verse 9, without any quotation marks, it continues the same speech as verse 8. And it says, Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. And now we have a capital M. And as we keep going with the same quote, um, no, the quote ends in verse 10, and then it picks up again um, in verse 11. Verse 11, And many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Who is the I or, or even the my of my people 
then I will dwell in your midst, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. It's most clear in verse 11 that we have to have the Father sending the Son. And that's why it's capitalized in verse 11. It's likely the case, though the New American Standard Bible has not done it, that in verse 8, it's also He, the Father, has sent me, the Son, against the nations. The Father sent the Son. I don't see how Zechariah would be sent against the nations, how he would be an authority for that purpose. And speaking of this issue of he has sent me and also then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. That phrase appears as well in chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 9. In verse 8, it says, Also the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Who's the me? The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the other occurrence is in 615. 6.15. And those who are far off will come and build the temple of the Lord. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And it will take place if you completely obey the Lord your God. We could do this two ways or two or three ways. One, all of these are Christ being sent. Or all of these are the prophet or A couple of these are Christ, and the rest are the prophet. The New American Standard Bible has taken a couple of these to be Christ, chapter 2, verses 9 and 11, and the rest of them, the prophet. Then, it says, He has sent me against the nations which plunder you. Against the nations. God judged Egypt, in the book of Exodus, we read in Ezekiel and Malachi that God judged Edom. That means that God was judging nations in the Old Testament, not just Israel. He wasn't only concerned about Israel and righteousness in Israel, but he was also concerned about righteousness and wickedness in the nations of the world. He would punish them too. The way they are described, they are described as plundering you, which plunder you. We're going to see the opposite happen in verse 9. The wicked plunder the righteous in verse 8, but then in verse 9, the righteous will plunder the wicked. The reverse will occur. But why is this? such a bad thing? Why is it so wrong for the nations to plunder the people of God, the church? Because of verse 8, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye, the apple or the pupil of the eye, that inner circle, the 
the smallest of the circles on the exterior of the eye. When something is about to touch it, our eyelids react, right? Our face reacts. Our eyes react. We don't like it. We don't want anything to touch that sensitive spot. And it's natural for nothing to touch it except our eyelids closing over it, right? So that sensitive, special, and even beautiful part of the human body, that's who we are to God. He considers us that precious <coughs> and protects us that way because whoever touches us touches God's eye or God's pupil. And therefore, he reacts to it. Moses preached the same in Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, 10. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 10. He found him, God found him, Israel, in a desert land and in the howling waste of a wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye. Guarded him as the pupil of his eye. It also appears in Psalm 17, verse 8. Psalm 17, Eight. This is a prayer asking God to treat us that way. Psalm seventeen eight. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Though we are persecuted, it doesn't mean God does not care for us. It does not mean we're not precious to him. He will act on our behalf because he does consider us special, precious, valuable, and he will protect us. Verse 9 of Zechariah 2.9, For behold, what is it that he's going to do? For behold, I will wave my hand over them so that they will be plunder for their slaves. I will wave my hand over them. A couple of examples of waving the hand. Our first one is Exodus 14. What does it mean to wave the hand? What's going on when the hand is waved? Exodus 14, verse 15. We'll read 15 to 25. 14, 15. This is the first occurrence of it being waved. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. And as for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. And as for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, 
through his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. And there was a cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided, and the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. And it came about at the morning watch that the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. And he caused their chariot wheels to swerve, and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Moses waved his hand, stretched out his hand, and God acted. So God's saying, I'm about to act. And when I act and act in power, mighty power, to deliver you, what's the result? In Zechariah it says, so that they will be plunder for their slaves. If we're still in Exodus, turn to chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, 35, 12:35 to 36. This was first predicted earlier before the plagues were inflicted on Egypt, but now 12:35, when they're about to leave. Now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have their request. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. They plundered the Egyptians. Who were Israel at that time? They were slaves. Their ruthless oppressors, their masters, the Egyptians, mistreated them. And in the same way, people will mistreat us treat us like slaves, worthless slaves, but we will plunder them because Zechariah says they will be plunder for their slaves. This concept of God reversing circumstances, making the opposite occur, is actually evident throughout the scripture. Remember when Daniel the prophet was falsely accused by the officials and then Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Well, when he was delivered, what did God do to those officials? God made those officials suffer for what they wanted Daniel to suffer, correct? God caused the reverse to occur to them. In the book of Esther, in the book of Esther, they wanted, Naaman and the others, they wanted to massacre all the Jews. But God changed it so that the Jews 
massacred or defended their lives and defeated and destroyed all their enemies. Um, so God's in the business of reversing it. He's going to have a day of payment. And on that day of payment, will be paid in abundance and everyone else will be plundered. Christ said, for those of us who have given up everything to follow Christ, he says in conclusion, Matthew 19, 30, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Matthew 19, 30, the last will be first. That's us. The rich man was, when he died, he went to Hades. He had everything good now, but in Hades, he was in torment. Lazarus had nothing good now, but Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. Well, this same promise is for us in uh, Zechariah. Well, when this happens, when this reversal occurs, then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. He is not denying that we can know and do know the promises of God, the fulfillment of God's promises. He's not denying that. But he's assuring us that there's going to be a future day when it's going to be all the more glorious, all the more evident that we belong to him and that God has given us the victory over our enemies. He's talking about a future time of glory and certainty on this matter. That's what he means. Then you will know. It's like it is in Revelation 3.9. Revelation 3.9. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. God will make them know that God has loved them or loved us. He's going to make the evildoers know that God has indeed loved us. That's the kind of knowledge he's speaking of in Zechariah, this final, complete knowledge of rejoicing and glorifying God. Verse 10, Zechariah 2.10. Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst declares the Lord. Because God is coming, and this God is Christ, because Christ is coming and Christ will dwell in our midst, it is reason for us, called here daughter of Zion, to sing for joy and be glad. Sing for joy and be glad. So in anticipation of what God will do for us, we should sing now as we anticipate it. 
sing now and anticipate the fact that we will be glorified. He says in Isaiah 51, 16, 51, 16. We'll start at 14. 14. After telling us not to fear, verses 12 and 13, then he says in 51, 14, the exile, the exile, that's us, the exile will soon be set free and will not die in the dungeon, nor will his bread be lacking. For I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth, and I have covered you with the shadow of my hand to establish the heavens, to found the earth, and to say to Zion, (coughs) you are my people. You are my people. So God delivers us. He dwells among us, calls us his people. Therefore, we should thank him and praise him. In song, Isaiah 12, Isaiah 12, we'll start at verse 1 and read the chapter, Isaiah 12, verse 1, then you will say on that day, mind you, when he says on that day, it says that day in Zechariah 2.11, and that day refers to the days of Christ, the days of Messiah. Then you will say to me on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation, and in that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. There's lots of songs like this. In the Bible, Revelation 19 is another one. Revelation 19. We have the fourfold hallelujah. Revelation 19, 1. 19, verse 1. 1 to 10. After these things, I heard, as it were, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, because his judgments are true and righteous, for he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sits on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the sound of many waters, 
and as the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and he has, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We rejoice when God delivers us and when he punishes our enemies. We rejoice because we belong to him. We are his bride. He is our groom. And we sing. And... He also reminds us that whatever we're reading in Zechariah, the spirit of prophecy, the core of prophecy, the essentials of prophecy have to do with Jesus Christ. So Christ is the one who will dwell in our midst. He's coming and will dwell in our midst. Well, by the way, here is one verse. There's many places, but here's one in Zechariah 2.10 where Christ is saying, I am coming. Because in the New Testament, he's got different names and one of them is the coming one. Are you the coming one or shall we look for someone else? Remember that? The coming one. He's called that because of Zechariah 2.10 and other places. Actually, if you're in Zechariah, another place we can see it is Malachi, Malachi 3, 1. Malachi 3, 1. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. The messenger of the covenant is coming. He is coming. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. That's why he's called the coming one. Zechariah 2.10 When it says, I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord, that was the purpose of the tabernacle. In Exodus 25, 8, that I may dwell among them. Exodus 25, 8. And 1 Kings 6, 13, for the temple, God said that he would dwell in the thick cloud. So both in tabernacle and temple, they were tokens of God's presence among the people. Because the goal that God has is to eternally dwell among His people. His people to worship Him and be with Him. That eternal dwelling is 
described in Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 3. 21, 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. God's among them and dwells there. Further, Zechariah 2.11, And many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord. This happened in the days of Esther after the people were delivered. In the days of Esther, Esther chapter 8 and verse 17. 8, 17. And many among the peoples of the land became Jews, for the dread of the Jews had fallen on them. Also, Esther 9, 27. 9, 27. The Jews established and made a custom for themselves and for their descendants and for all those who had allied themselves with them. Among the nations in the Persian Empire, they, there were many who allied themselves with the Jews. But that is just partially the case. It will happen throughout history in a great way that many nations will join themselves to the Lord. And in that day refers to the days of Christ. Hebrews 1, 2 says, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. The last days. Little children, it is the last hour. 1 John two, eighteen. The last hour, the last days, in that day, that's the time of, between the first and second comings of Christ. Well, this is also prophesied by Isaiah. Many places, actually, in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2, 1 to 4, which has a parallel in Micah 4, 1 to 3. Isaiah 2, 1 to 4, Micah 4, 1 to 3. The word which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now, it will come about that in the last days, there's our key word that tells us when, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it and many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths for the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem and he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. 
nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11, verse 10. 11, verse 10. Then it will come about in that day that the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. We have a capital H for his resting place. That's right and good, but it should also have had a capital R for root of Jesse and S, capital S for signal for the peoples. He's the root of Jesse and signal for the peoples. His resting place, the resting place of Christ. Jesse, the father of David. Um, So the son of David, Christ, is this one to whom the nations will resort. Look at Isaiah 19. Isaiah 19, 24. 24 to 25. Isaiah 19, 24. In that day, Israel will be the third party with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. In that day, the day is now. One more place is, there's many in Isaiah. We could spend the rest of the evening, all of these passages in Isaiah on the nations. Look at this one. This one is Isaiah 25, 25, 6 to 12. Isaiah 25, 6 to 12. This one will help to clarify Even though he says many nations, and Isaiah says many peoples, all nations, the nations, he doesn't mean every single nation and every single person in the whole world. He does not mean that at all. This passage will make it clear. 25.6 And the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Verses 6 to 9 refers to the elect called his people, all peoples, all nations, all faces, his people from all the earth. Verses 6 to 9. And the key is God is the one who removes or swallows up the covering which is over all peoples. If God swallows up the covering, removes the covering, then that's election. Okay, now 10 to 12. It does not include everyone. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, and Moab will be trodden down in his place, 
as a straw, as straw is trodden down in the water of a manure pile, and he will spread out his hands in the middle of it, as a swimmer spreads out his hands to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pride together with the trickery of his hands, and the unassailable fortifications of your walls he will bring down, lay low, and cast to the ground, even to the dust. So God will redeem many nations. They will join themselves to the Lord and become his people. And this, of course, happens through the preaching of the gospel. And when this happens also, verse 11 says, Then I will dwell in your midst, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. When all the redeemed are before the throne and we are dwelling with Christ and the Father, we're going to know that God has done that. This would be similar to Philippians 2. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We will be among them and we'll know who the redeemed are and who the unredeemed are. Verse 12, Zechariah 2.12 And the Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. The Lord's possession, his chosen people, here he calls Judah and Jerusalem. But we do know he doesn't mean the buildings or the land of the city He's calling Judah and Jerusalem names of the people. The people who are redeemed are called that. This happens throughout Scripture. For example, even in Zechariah 1.19, he says, These are the horns which have scattered Judah Israel and Jerusalem. He doesn't mean they scattered the buildings and the rocks. He means they scattered the people of Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. The people of those places. The same here. He chooses the people as his portion, as his inheritance. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a, holy, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are the chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Titus 2.14 2.14 says, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people, for his own possession, zealous 
for good deeds. We are the people for his own possession. That he has chosen. He said that already in 117 of Zechariah, Zechariah 117, that he will again choose Jerusalem. He says it again in 212, he chooses Jerusalem. Now, the fact that God chooses is mentioned in Deuteronomy 7, 6. Deuteronomy 7, 6 to 11. Deuteronomy 7, 6. How do these people become his people, his special possession, his holy possession? 7, 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generation with those who love him and keep his commandments, but repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with them who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment and the statutes and the judgments which I am commanding you today to do them. God chooses whom he redeems. And lastly, we've come to verse 13. What should we think? What should we consider after hearing all of this? Be silent or literally hush. Hush like it is in, in Zechariah. Oh, sorry, not Zechariah. Habakkuk 2 verse 20, and Zephaniah 1.7. <coughs> Habakkuk 2.20, Zephaniah 1.7. Hush all flesh, or be silent all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. All of us, when we are before the Lord, this is what we should do. Hush or be silent. Because when God is aroused from his holy habitation, he's going to act in mighty power. And we better be ready. We better be ready when <coughs> he is aroused from his holy habitation. His holy habitation is heaven. Deuteronomy 26.15 says, from your holy habitation from heaven. Psalm 11, verse 4, also. His holy temple is in heaven. When he is aroused from heaven to act, we better be ready. Everybody isn't ready. People think they're ready, but they're not really ready. 
and ready to give him his due fear. In Malachi 3, Malachi 3, we read verse 1 that Christ is coming. Let's look also at verses 2 and 3, or even all the way to verse 6. Malachi 3, Christ is coming in verse 1, but is this going to be something for which we should take lightly, take it lightly, be flippant about it? No, look at verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. In verse 2, nobody can endure the day of the coming of Christ. Who can endure? Nobody. Who's going to be able to stand when he appears? People think of Christ like they think of a stuffed animal. They think of him like a candy bar, but that's not the way he is. He is not like that. We shouldn't look at him that way. He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. A refiner, a smelter, verse 3. He has to turn up the heat on the gold and silver and take away the impurities of the gold and silver. That's not pleasant. That's not a pleasant thought. What about the fuller? The fuller, we don't use that word very much, but a fuller is a laundryman. A laundryman's soap. The laundryman or the fuller is a worthless laundryman if his soap won't take away the dirt. But this one is a very effective laundryman. He's going to get rid of dirty laundry. He's going to make it very clean and white. That's what he's going to do. And when he does it, then, only then, will our offerings be in righteousness and pleasing to the Lord. Verses 3 and 4. But what does he have to get rid of? Why is it that we should hush before the Lord? He's going to get rid of sorcerers, adulterers, false swearers, oppressors, um, oppressors of wages, oppressors of widows, oppressors of orphans, oppressors of aliens, and people who do not fear him. He's going to get rid of those people. He's going to get rid of those sins. That's why when he's aroused from his holy habitation, we better be ready to face him. And the only way to be ready to face him is to repent of sins and believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's the only way. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says on it.